Welcome to the CDW Gets Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Marquez, an education strategist for CDWG. Today, CDW Gets Thermal Temperature Checks. With the many guidances coming out for the opening of the fall semester, many schools are having to plan for that reopening structure. Whether that's socially distancing their classrooms, asking their faculty to wear PPE, or scanning and monitoring temperature as their educators and students enter their buildings. Many administrators are asking, how can we do the impossible? How can we guide all of our students and staff safely and effectively through a guide to get their temperature checked on a daily basis? How will this be possible? What are the strategies needed to make this a seamless process? And how can we, as educators, ensure the safety of our staff and our students? Today, we have an expert in this field, Mike Sherwood, a field solution architect with CDWG. Mike, go ahead and introduce yourself. Yeah, thanks for having me, Joe. Uh, Mike Sherwood here with CDW. I'm a senior field solution architect for the enhanced video surveillance practice at CDW. My primary responsibility is to help our customers ensure that we're meeting their needs uh, from a video perspective for uh, both physical security, but also for technologies such as video analytics and other elements that help them be more productive in their business. Excellent. And I'm so glad that we have a resource like yourself here at CDW because we are in some very interesting times. And one of the most interesting things about the scenarios that are being released by the California Department of Education and Departments of Education around the country are the guidances of temperature checks when teachers and students are entering the campus. And that seems like a very daunting task because if you have a school of 800 students, 1,400 students, that's going to be a very difficult thing to get the temperature check of every single one of them in a short amount of time. What I would like to know is what are these temperature checks? What are these thermal screenings and why are they needed? Yeah, sure thing. So thermal screening really is about measuring the external temperature of the body. So what we're looking at is the skin temperature. It's a little different than knowing what the temperature of somebody is internally. So in order to get that information, we have to use something like an inner ear thermometer or an oral thermometer, something that gathers the information that gives us a really solid temperature for your internal body. Uh, what we're really looking at is what is the temperature maybe of your forehead or the inner canthus of your eye, which is that area where your eye kind of meets your nose. Those tend to be most reflective of what your internal body temperature is, but it's not exact. People do fall in a fairly narrow range, however. So what we're looking at is using thermal technologies from video cameras that can rapidly detect what the external skin temperature is uh, from a person that walks through the field of view. With these thermal screenings, what would you say is the best location for these screenings to be conducted? Is that like at the front of the school when everybody has a single point of entry? Would this be at the front of the classroom? Maybe the teacher is conducting these, these checks? Or we know that a lot of students take the bus. Would, would there be thermal screenings needed when students are entering the bus? Because we know if they go to school on a bus, it's going to be hard to send them back home if they end up failing the temperature checks on campus. What would your suggestion be to the best location and timing of these screenings? You certainly bring up most of the points that our customers are talking about. So these are definitely representative of the challenges that we're seeing in the environment. One of the key elements to successful thermal screening is allowing people to acclimate to the indoor environment. So if you consider that people oftentimes are coming in from outside where it's hot or cold, 
it's probably significantly different in some cases than what the internal ambient temperature is. Anytime that happens, your skin temperature tends to drop or rise, and we need a little bit of time in the indoor environment to be able to acclimate to that temperature. So the idea here is that you have some type of a staging area where people can hang out for three to five minutes. In some cases, it might be even longer. So if you look at some of the CDC recommendations, they're saying up to 15 minutes. Of course, that probably has a lot to do with what the external or outside temperature is compared to the ambient indoor temperature, but certainly there could be times where you have to wait a little bit longer. There are other elements to also consider, like people that are wearing hats, uh, if they have a lot of makeup on, those can affect the accuracy of the results that you get from the thermal cameras. So what we're really recommending in these cases is that people place um, these thermal screening technologies in areas that are away from an entrance, a main entrance to a building, or uh, really any door at all, because that has the ability to impact what the ambient temperature is in the environment, because the door's opening and closing. Uh, you have to keep them away from things like vents or windows where there's a thermal effect from the sun that's coming in and could heat up the environment. So definitely placement's a huge consideration. All of these things actually make buses a pretty poor location for uh, thermal screening because these are exactly the case that a bus is dealing with where people are coming in from the cold or you know they're waiting outside in the heat. They might have a hat on. You know, all these things will impact the accuracy. One of the, the strategies that we've seen some customers discuss is the potential of maybe using a handheld IR thermometer on the bus. It's a little bit different than a thermal camera. It's a less expensive option, but it does have a lot of the same issues as what a thermal camera has because, you know, it's a similar situation. You're still just taking the skin temperature from the individual, maybe on their forehead. Might be a little bit more accurate, but you still have all of those elements of the cold and heat and temperature changes that you would have in the indoor environment. So it could be a potential quick screen, but I think in general, what we're seeing are people that are talking about how do we segment these bus populations when they come into the facility so that if one person on the bus reads with an elevated temperature, we have this uh, segment of the student population that's kind of segmented or they're at least together and we can start to figure out how we're going to mitigate this or do some contact tracing associated with that to understand who they may have, may have come in close contact with on the bus. Mike, I love those ideas. The idea of a pre-screening before they get to the physical campus, that's a phenomenal idea, especially with those portable thermometers or, that you were talking about. Because one of the big questions our customers have is how fast will these screenings work on the students so they're not spending a lot of time in a socially distanced line trying to come into campus. And what you said about a staging area is incredibly important because you're right, the temperature of the environment can affect the scan once they come in. We know that many of our schools are in areas that are prone to snow days and temperatures below 32 degrees area, which can make, make their skin very cold. And then over here in California, we have some days that are like 106, 108, which can affect the temperature of the skin as well. Are some of these devices useful in increasing the amount of checks in under a minute for that screening process to be done more quickly? Absolutely. And I think that's the primary goal is to increase the throughput. Now, keeping in mind, anytime that you increase the throughput, you are sacrificing something like accuracy, as an example. So we see a variety of solutions available in this space, anywhere from a handheld thermographic camera all the way up to a permanently mounted solution or something that's mounted on a cart. Even kiosks that people can kind of stand in front of, takes a picture of your face, also measures your temperature. These are going to vary in their throughput capacities. Our estimates are somewhere between 12 to 15 people per minute on the lower end of the range 
maybe all the way up to 20 to 30, uh, even 40 uh, on the higher end of the range. We know that these are going to change and shift as time goes on. Students will become used to the technologies and understand how they can move through the environment. The folks that are running it, you know, are making sure that people are getting through and educating the students on how to, to properly prepare for it in terms of acclimatizing to the environment, but also removing hats and so forth, maybe brushing your hair out from in front of your forehead. So all of those things are, are going to take a little bit of time. So I would expect in the beginning, it's going to take a little bit more time to get people through a line than it would as we start to progress through this. Now, one other key thing to re remember here is that this is really also a screening technology. So we're looking for an anomaly, somebody who's measuring maybe a couple degrees above normal. So we're looking somewhere in that 100.5 degree range or higher. And when these individuals are flagged, we need to move them on to a secondary screening area where we can do a little bit more of a thorough evaluation. And in that area, we recommend certainly that you have more of a medical grade thermometers that you're using but also healthcare providers, individuals that understand how to interview for additional symptoms that we may be concerned with. So those are all important things to remember that solutions kind of have to be manned as well um, so that you can direct traffic that can also help with throughput, though, because you could kind of keep things moving along. And that's really great insight because I know that schools and districts are going to be thinking about a plan to implement this. And knowing that it's probably not going to be 100% workable on the first few days and that tweaks are going to need to be made and students are going to need to learn the strategy of getting through these checkpoints is going to be incredibly important. When I was in education, one of the hardest things was to herd students into a gym for an assembly. And so I can imagine hurting the entire group of students into campus just to get into school every single day. So knowing that a plan being put into place and tweaks needing to be made to make that plan even better every day is incredibly important for our listeners to think about. Now, those are students and those are educators that are coming to campus every day. What about guests coming on to campus? When, when school districts are finally comfortable allowing outside entities to come in for meetings or to come in to uh, walk the school grounds, what can be done about checking for guests as they come into campus, as they come in through the main office or that screening area? We could certainly use the same or similar technologies for guests as well, but the dynamic of how that works and, and how you implement it might be a little bit different. So for example, a kiosk solution may be a better fit for guests because it's something that is standalone. It allows the guests to come in front of the unit and then it tells them directly, hey, you have an elevated temperature. You're, you're not gonna be allowed in or uh, you need to talk to this other individual before we move any further. So there's some automation that kind of goes into place with that. Uh, there's a, maybe a little bit more of a trust element when we're having adults come in to the building, especially vendors and so forth, who want to make sure that they're also protecting the student population. And these things can also be tied into things like access control. So if you, if you wanted to, you could have a door that's uh, locked, for example, until somebody registers that they have a, a normal skin temperature, but also maybe that they're even wearing some personal protective equipment like a mask. So those types of things are, are very helpful in uh, being able to, to analyze whether we want to allow this person a building, and we can automate that. If the customer is using access control, we can automate that and unlock the door for them to let them into the facility. There's a lot of different ways to kind of handle this, and I think it really depends on the customer's environment, You know, where guests are entering the building, uh, what type of controls they have in place. Most schools have some controls in place already to make sure that guests sign in and that they have a, a process that they run through before they're allowed into the facility. So 
I think it kind of dovetails nicely into what a lot of schools are already doing from a policy standpoint. And that's really good to know as well, because, you know, the checkpoint is not only to protect the students from outside entities, but also to protect those outside entities if later on it is found that a student or a member of the school faculty tests positive for this virus. We want to be able to contact trace backwards to those guests and let them know they had entered a school where there was that virus that was located. So it's not only for the safety of the students, but also for the safety of our guests as well. One thing that I really am interested in is the calibrations or the accuracies of these sensors. And I'm asking because when I was a wrestling coach in my school, our scale had to be calibrated by the weights and measures department to make sure that it is absolutely accurate. Is that something that these machines have to be calibrated as well? Do they have to have some kind of outside entity calibrate them to showcase that they're working? Or is this something that the district or the school would be doing on their own? Definitely a few things to understand here because calibration is a very important element to ensuring that you get the best accuracy possible. So I think one important thing to mention is that a lot of these devices require FDA approval in order to be used as a, a medical device because they are taking somebody's temperature. Uh, the FDA has recently waived that requirement because the demand is so high for these devices. So a lot of the devices you see on the market are not FDA approved, but some of them have submitted for those approvals and they're going through the process. Now the FDA requires a device be accurate within plus or minus 0.9 degrees Fahrenheit. Most of the vendors out there are claiming somewhere between 0.5 and 0.9. So they're within those ranges, but that accuracy is very dependent again on all of the external environmental conditions like ambient temperature, acclimatization to the environment, and all the things that we've already mentioned throughout this podcast. That said, if you have a device, especially that you're moving around an environment, something that's on wheels, and we're seeing that be a request quite often, uh, you have to calibrate that for the ambient temperature in the new environment that you put it in. It's something that can be done by the end user. So essentially what you're doing is you're taking the temperature of an individual, they're walking up to the camera then, it's measuring their temperature, and you're looking to see if those two are accurate to each other. If not, there's an offset that you can put in place. So if the camera is reading 0.5 degrees lower than what your IR thermometer is reading, then you may want to add an offset of plus 0.5. So that kind of compensates for uh, the ambient environment. In addition, you can add other elements to that, such as a black body device. So a black body device is a small radiator. It emits heat very consistently. So it's always at the same temperature. It's usually set to somewhere a little bit above 100 degrees. And uh, that gives the camera a reference point to know uh, that it has a consistent element that it's always measuring, that's always at the same temperature. Also, it makes calibration quite a bit easier because I, I can uh, verify the temperature of the black body device and then I met, match that to the camera. It doesn't change, it's very consistent. And it's at the same distance that the person stands from the camera. That's really important to understand because distance will have an impact on accuracy. So if I have the black body device at the same distance that I'm standing from the camera, let's say it's eight feet, then I have a really, really good reference for a, a constant temperature in that environment. So uh, we definitely recommend black bodies where possible. We also know that it's not always something that a customer can do, maybe due to space limitations or budget restraints, but if possible, we would certainly like to see our clients use that type of a technology. Excellent. And I think you've talked about this a little bit, like there's some things that can hinder the scan, whether it's outside temperature, whether it's distance from the participant in the calibration, but is there any kind of like wardrobe that can affect the, the scan that can give a false positive or that can hinder the scan from giving a full reading? Is there any kind of makeup 
that people put on that can hinder any kind of scan so that those who are giving the scan can say, oh, please take off your glasses or that hat is in the way. Is there anything like that that our listeners should be thinking of? Yeah, 100%. Glasses, hats, uh, makeup, as you mentioned, lotions even. If somebody's been exercising and they're sweating, right, perspiration can have an impact on the emissivity of the skin to be able to emit the heat that we can detect. So anything that can potentially block the heat that's coming out of the skin can have an impact on this. Even things like uh, thin, thinning skin. So as you see older populations, populations age, as we age, our skin starts to get a little bit thinner. And when that happens, it's more susceptible to changes in temperature. So the ambient environment affects somebody with thin skin much more than somebody with thick skin. Not typically a problem in student populations. Our students, uh, uh, they have thick skin, no pun intended there, but also we do have people in the schools, I should say, who uh, maybe are uh, a little bit older and, and they have those other conditions. So you just have to be aware of those things. Placement is definitely a really important factor, but I think educating students and anybody that's going through these devices, what they need to do to prepare for it, to make sure it's as accurate as possible and that it's getting, uh, getting them through the line as quickly as we can so that the school day can start. Uh, there's one thing else that I, I could probably mention in this is uh, we didn't really talk about it before, but we are seeing some schools talk about how they can distribute this, the screening throughout the environment. So maybe instead of having one single choke point, we have two or three that could help with throughput in environments like a high school where you have a higher student population, 1,800 students or, or so, and you can uh, maybe have some that are going through a cafeteria or some that are going through a gymnasium. Uh, those types of things can help to speed and expedite the process. Yeah, and, and I'm imagining entering a giant stadium where you have multiple checkpoints of people entering to make sure that you're not creating a bottleneck in one particular area. And I'm also thinking about like the airport when they're screening through security because they have digital signage all the way down that line saying, please prepare to take this out, please prepare to do this, please prepare. And so as they're waiting in line, as they're waiting to be screened, they're constantly being reminded what they need to do once they get up there, which will probably help that process become faster as that time goes on. So digital signage, I think, would be a fantastic idea in these checkpoints. The one thing that I think a lot of people are talking about is the costs, right? And I know there's a variety of different scanning devices, thermal scanners that are out there, but what are some of the devices that you're seeing that have a good cost to them, but also provide probably enough uh, students to be able to be screened in the shortest amount of time? Also, are these things that can be used for a long term, meaning like after the pandemic is over, are these things that can be used for other purposes? Or can schools think about renting these equipment so that once this pandemic is over and they don't need them anymore, they can then give them back? Really great questions, Joe. I appreciate diving into that a bit. The cost is a, a little bit challenging simply because it really is tied a lot in a lot of cases to throughput. So the lower throughput solutions are going to be also lower on the cost scale, but it may be that you know you can use multiple of those to accomplish the same throughput of a higher cost device. So it, you know you kind of end up with this. It seems like a similar cost regardless. The devices are going to range somewhere in the neighborhood of three thousand dollars, potentially all the way up to twenty thousand for a mobile cart-based solution with a higher-end thermal camera. So it really. It has a massive range to it. I would say that in general, we're kind of seeing these solutions somewhere in that three to $10,000 range. Maybe probably three is a little bit low. I mean, that's per device. Keep that in mind. You know, in, in the case of uh, the lower end ones, you might need multiple of them to accomplish those throughput goals. Uh, and they can be, of course, used for other functions uh, later on down the road. So 
Specifically, if we look at the kiosk solutions, those can be repurposed in an access control type of a situation to validate even a student's identity when they come into the building. So a lot of those have face recognition technologies built into them where they're matching a database of faces to the person that comes in front of it. So we can validate yeah, the student belongs in the school. It matches their photo. Um, it doesn't actually store the photos um, itself. So uh, it's fairly secure in that regard. It's just storing the metadata of the photo and, and how to uh, match that met metadata from various areas on the face to allow them uh, access or verify that they should be there. So definitely in the case of that technology, it can be uh, redeployed in other ways. I would say the thermal cameras in general are quite specific, but you know we might wanna start screening students for health uh, issues just in general. Uh, at certain times of the year. So you think of, you know, uh, might have an outbreak of the flu, for example, or uh, hopefully we don't have something as bad as COVID coming up in the future, but if it did, we might want to screen for that. So I, I can see some uses in those um, cases for these technologies moving forward. A lot of them are also paired with other sensors that are taking, uh, looking at standard video. So uh, you can also use it as a standard video camera for surveillance and security in the environment. So there's, there's quite a few things you can reuse them for. I haven't seen anything yet as far as rental is concerned. Uh, there might be some lease options for sure, uh, but it, and nobody that I've noticed has quite gotten into the rental game. Uh, these devices are fairly constrained. There's a very high demand on them, so it can be kind of tough to get your hands on them uh, for even demo purposes. Uh, most people are just buying a unit, testing it out, making sure it works for their environment, doing a proof of concept, and then moving forward from there. Well, Mike, you have answered so many great questions that I know many of our local education agencies are just scrambling over. Because when I'm talking to school districts, this is part of the scenario. This is part of the reopening that they are just scratching their heads about saying, what are we going to do? And knowing that the products that they will be purchasing can be repurposed for other things for the longevity of the campus that is extremely important because I know that school districts are very wary of buying something for now that cannot be used for later. So I just want to say, Mike, thank you so much for being on the show and giving us all such amazing information for thermal screenings when schools are reopening in the fall. Absolutely. And thank you, Joe, for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity to come on and discuss these topics. Once again, that was Field Solution Architect, Mike Sherwood for CDWG. If you would like to contact Mike or anyone on his team, we have put their contact information in the show notes below. And as a reminder, as with any safety protocols, please make sure you are looking at the CDC, State and Local Department of Health, and State Education Agency guidelines for your area. If you would like any additional information of any of the products or services we talked about here on this podcast, please contact your account manager for any inquiries regarding these services. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, don't forget... It always seems impossible until it's done. I'm Joe Marquez, and it's been a pleasure learning with you today.